Open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. We are starting a new series, and for the next eight weeks, it is entitled Being in Christ. And it is based on the book of 1 Thessalonians, written by the Apostle Paul. Now, there's a story about this little boy that was sitting in, in service with his mother, and the sermon was longer than usual on this particular Sunday. So this little boy was getting more and more restless by the minute. And finally, in what was supposed to be a soft whisper, this little boy blurted out to his mom, Hey, mom, if we give him the money now, will he let us leave? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like the church service where the pastor had delivered a long, dry sermon, and the pastor announced that he wanted to meet with the board right after the service. So the first man who shows up is not a board member. So the pastor says, you know, I'm sorry. I think there must have been a misunderstanding. This is a meeting of the board. And the man replies, well, if there's anyone more bored than I am, then I'd like to meet him. Okay, folks, this is as good as they get this morning, so you should might as well laugh at them. That's it. That's all I got. But on a more serious note, I don't know if you guys ever heard of a church by the name of Willow Creek Community Church. They're one of the biggest churches in America. And they did a survey where they went door to door and they asked this question. If you don't go to church, just tell us why. The top five reasons. Number five, people said that they feel awkward at church. Number four, people says that they're already busy. They're too busy already. Number three is that churches are asking for money all the time. Number two, they said that churches were irrelevant. And the number one reason why people say they don't come to church, which I was shocked about, they said that it was boring. I mean, can you guys believe they said that about you? You see, most people think that it's the preacher man's job to not be boring, and in some regards it is. But if we are a body of believers, doesn't that affect all of us? You know, the sad truth is that many churches are a little boring or irrelevant or asking for money all of the time. And I don't think that's the case here at Canyon Hills. But that is exactly the kind of stuff that the Apostle Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians. Not the boring part, not how not to be boring in church. But the being in Christ part, in such a way that all of these things will not be true for our church. And since you and I make up the church, then these things will not be true in our lives. So as we start this new series, Being in Christ, I mean, I can't think of a better book in the Bible that relates more to us than 1 Thessalonians. And I suppose I feel that way about every book of the Bible, but when I pick this one up, it's just amazing how this letter just fits into our lives, into our situation, and into our times. You know, you look at the city, the city of Thessalonica, and what it was like, and it is so much like what we face today. And really, anywhere where you may happen to live in America. I mean, let's see if you can relate. Let me tell you, the city of Thessalonica was a bustling seaport city at the head of the Gulf. It was an important communication and trade center, and it was located on a major Roman road. And since, like I said, it was close to a seaport, it was a very rich city. Experts believe that their population was around 200,000 people, making it the largest city in Macedonia. And it was also the capital of its province, so it was a really big city for its day. I mean, is this kind of making any connection with any of us? You see, it is, to me, it's the same kind of place where we live today. So maybe we should pay attention to what this letter has to say. In fact, look at the, pe look at the people who live there. 
There were the Greeks who included the philosophers who trusted in their thoughts and their mind and their knowledge and their education. There were the Romans who trusted in their power and were very hungry for it. You know, they were the ones in control during that time. There were the Jews. They were the religious ones. And they often came across very legalistic and self-righteous. And then there was another group that they called the barbarians who were people that would come from the north down into the city. And when they would come, they would come with all kinds of superstitions. Now, let me ask you, do we have people like that today? People who trust in their knowledge and education over God? People who trust in their superstitions, meaning there's a lot of misconceptions out there and they rather trust in those? People who are hungry for power in such a way that they're willing to climb corporate ladders, even if it means stepping on anyone on their way up. Or politically hungry people who are willing to make promises to you that they know they can't keep as long as they get to the top. People who are so religious that they fail to recognize the message of Christ, which is above all else, love. There are people like that today. I mean, perhaps you know some. This stuff is rampant in our society. So the Apostle Paul walks into this scene and to these people from all walks of life and starts telling them about the real God. And in the process, I think just kind of rocks their world. You know, one of the interesting things to me about Thessalonica is that it was right at the foot of Mount Olympus. There at the foot of the mountain is where they worshiped all these false gods. So here comes Paul bringing the news of a real God. There is the center in the city of economic wealth. And in comes Paul to bring in the news of the real riches. There is this place where there are so many Jews, about a third of the city was Jewish, and they were waiting for a Messiah. And here comes Paul to tell them about a real Messiah. That is what Thessalonica was all about. So it is a place that really relates to us. I think, in fact, I think it's a letter that is written to us. I mean, it could easily be called First Yorbalindians or First Anaheim Hillians or First Coronians. I like the word Coronians. It sounds better that way. And here's how Paul starts out this letter, which is so foundational and so important. In verse 1, he says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, those were his buds, to the church of Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Grace and peace to you. You know, that little word in, in God the Father, it's an incredibly important word. Paul says, you live in a city, but you also live in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus talked about it in the Bible, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, you abide in me, he says. And when Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians, he says, it's like the different parts of the body. We are all connected. Christ is the head and we're all connected to him. Which means that everything that we do, everything that we are, we do in Jesus. Just like those those people in, in, in the city of Thessalonica. We live in a city, but we also live in Jesus Christ. We have two addresses. And if you ever forget either of those two addresses, you forget who you are in this world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're in both. I mean, it's easy to remember our home address, but we should never forget that second address. Never. I mean, a trick you might do in your mind as you fill out all those online forms and you have to fill out where you live, you may say, hey, I live in the city of fill in the blank, but I also live in Jesus Christ because that is my address as a believer. 
So as we start this new year, I want to share four things with you from the book of 1 Thessalonians of what the church should be. And remember, you are the church, so this change has to begin with us. It's a new year, and maybe in the process, maybe we can do our part to boost the church in the eyes of the community. You see, we have an image, just like every human being has an image. But then what is our image? Not only at this church, but the church with a capital C. Is it a good image? We found out from this exhaustive study that people that don't come to church don't really have a good image of us. Is it kind and loving? Is it outgoing and selfless? Or is it inward? It's like, you know, a club just for us that we don't want anybody else to come in. Is it selfish? Or do we exist to live for others or for ourselves? So the first thing where change begins is in our foundation. In our foundation. If I want to change, I mean really change, we have to have a good and strong change for foundation. The right foundation, Paul says in verse 2, just as he starts that book, he goes right off the top, and in verse 2, he expresses three words that he goes back to over and over again, and he says, starting in verse 2, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember you before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The foundation that he talks about is faith, hope, and love. And perhaps the most familiar verse that you guys might be able to remember that has these three words in it, it comes from 1 Corinthians. You guys remember the love chapter, chapter 13? Verse 13 says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. The Apostle Paul gives us some more insight into these words as he talks about them and how they motivate or at least should motivate our lives. The first thing he says is that faith produces work. In other words, our beliefs should always result in action. Always. If what I say I believe is not changing the way I act, then it means that I don't really believe it. You know, some of us have gotten so used to God's word in such a way that it doesn't affect or change our actions anymore. Some people see the Bible as like a car alarm. Do you guys remember car alarms about 20 years ago when they used to go off and everybody would turn and go that way and, you know, they want to inquire as to what's going on and we were all very intrigued because they just came out in the market? A car alarm goes off today? We don't, it doesn't face us. We don't even turn to look in that direction. We kind of just walk the other way and we get annoyed that it's even going on because we don't believe them anymore. Well, folks... The Bible is not a false alarm. It is the truth. And when I recognize it for the truth that it is, it should motivate my actions, motivate my actions, right? You know, I really love this, this new generation of 20 somethings. They really believe in justice and mercy. And guess what? I see them out there doing it. That is faith in action. So folks that if we believe in the word of God, we should do what it says. For example, if you feel compelled to help the less fortunate, And guess what? You can come to Long Beach with us today at 345. There's this plug for you guys to come to Long Beach where we can get to feed the homeless today. But Paul also says, he says that love prompts labor. And you guys have all heard the phrase labor of love in our lives, right? So then let me ask you, what is your passion in life? Does it prompt you to labor? Colossians 3.23 says that whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for men 
He says, everything we do should be unto the Lord. And everything, folks, means everything, not just work or school or our jobs or whatever. It means everything. It means parenting and relationships and, and new people that you meet, which you, I mean, th- this is something that we can spend all year working on. You know, there's a guy that comes to our church. His name is Rich. And he's been to Mexico with me on our mission trips probably for the last eight years. And one day he was working to install a door. He's very meticulous. And his life verse is Colossians 3.23. Do everything as is unto the Lord. And he's working with another guy who doesn't really know Rich very well. And they're shaving the door so that it could fit. And the other guy just keeps shaving. And finally he gets it to just squeeze by and smash in. And he says, hey, man, hey, Rich, is this good enough? At which Rich tells him, Colossians 3.23 says, do everything as is unto the Lord. Now, let me ask you, is this unto the Lord? So the guy just puts his head down and keeps shaving the door. (laughs) Talk about hard, passionate work. Our love prompts labor. So he says, your faith produces work, which is action. Your love prompts labor, which is hard, passionate work. And then he says, your hope inspires endurance. You know, that ability to keep on keeping on, it's inspired or should be inspired by the hope in our lives. So now look at all these three. And here's a big question. Are you living a life when faith produces work and love prompts labor and hope inspires endurance? Is that true in your life? Or are you living life backwards? Let me explain. Are you trying to work your way into faith? Are you trying to labor your way into love? Are you trying to endure your way into hope? Because that's living life backwards. You know, the great encouragement and joy that is in this verse is that God wants to give you and I a gift. And Paul talks about it as a gift. It is a gift of faith. It is a gift of love. And it is a gift of hope. We don't have to work our way towards that. When he gives me a gift, I start to work in a new way. I start to labor in a new way. I start to endure in a way because those exist in my life. They are the foundation, not the other way around. You see, living life backwards is trying to make work on your own energy or trying to work on your own energy rather than God's energy. And to be totally honest, I'm kind of guilty of that sometimes when I've lived my life backwards. When I wake up in the morning and I say, you know, I have a long to-do list. I have so much to do that I'm going to labor my way into love today. I'm going to work so hard that I'm going to get closer to Christ today. Folks, I don't know about you, but it never works for me. It does work only for a little bit, but it always ends up in discouragement. But I found that when I get up in the morning and I take a few minutes to realize that God has given me the faith to make it through the day, that God wants to give me the love to love others, even the difficult people that I'm going to meet that day. When I start the day recognizing the gift, it changes everything. That's how it works. That's why it's foundational. So if you live life backwards, it's like trying to build a house and then just slipping the foundation underneath. You know, it doesn't work very well. First, you build the foundation and then you watch what the work that God builds on your faith, the love you have for him. And that's, and that's your heart. And then you watch the endurance. You're able to last through things that you never thought possible because you have a hope, a special hope that is built into your heart and into your life. So the second thing where change begins is at the center of our story. 
Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, again, well, all of this is 1 Thessalonians. He says, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia, but in Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. He says, the Lord's message rang out from the church in Thessalonica. You know, there was a certain pastor who never prepared his sermons during the week. And on Sunday mornings, he would just sit at the end. And while the music was going on, he'd sit and he'd just start praying desperately. Oh, Lord, give me your message. Oh, Heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit, just speak through me. And until one Sunday, while he was desperately praying for the Lord's message, he heard the Lord say, here's the message. You're lazy. Folks, we should never be lazy when it comes to ringing out the Lord's message. The Lord should be at the center of our, of our testimony, of our story, and our message. In fact, the greatest commandment, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19, it tells us that all authority, and this is Jesus speaking, have been on earth has been given to me. And he says, therefore, go out and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, Harold St. John said, the chief business of every Christian in the world today is to evangelize. No consideration of age, sex, poverty, or rank allows you to escape. The one controlling thing that lies before you is that your business in the world is to preach the gospel to every creature if you bear the name of Christian at all. Evangelizing, witnessing, testifying, or ringing out the Lord's message should be the primary function of the church. It should be the major work and the goal of the church. And remember, you are the church. You know, a famous preacher said a long time ago that if you want them coming down the aisles, you must go down the street. They will not seek. They must be sought. In fact, Jesus said himself, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus, you see, was a seeker of the lost. He found the woman of the well recorded in John chapter 4. She was not the kind of person that most people would have been interested in. She'd had five husbands and at that time was living with another man. Jesus sought her and talked to her in order to bring salvation into her life. You know, many people will never come to know Christ as Savior unless we go to them with the message. There are seekers in this world, but few seekers who will come into our church services. You know, we have to find them. We, we have to witness to them. We have to speak to them about Christ. You know, I had an interesting thing happen to me this, this holiday season. You guys all know that we went to Mexico, delivered gifts. But on, on New Year's Eve, we just get together with the family and we ring out the New Year. My middle brother, I have two brothers. My middle brother shares his birthday with New Year's Eve on the 31st. So he always throws himself a big party. And this year, he, um, he had a big party at a bar. And he knows that that's not my scene, so he really doesn't invite me, but he tells me about it because he, you know, he wants to be courteous about it as well. Well, I don't know what happened to me this time, but at about 1.30 in the morning, on it was already New Year's Day, I tell my wife, you know what, I'm going to go surprise my brother. You know, I love that guy. I, I'll show up to a bar, get uncomfortable and, you know, whatever, and, and I'll just give him a hug and I'll spend 10 or 15 minutes. So I tell my wife, if I don't come back in 30 minutes, then go back and search for me. I probably liked it and stay there. I don't know. <laughs> 
And so, and it was right around the corner. So I know there's a lot of drunk people driving at that time, but you know, I, I don't know. I just decided to go and I, I love my brother. So I show up and I walk into this bar and I do feel uncomfortable. I mean, there's nothing wrong with bars, but I walk and I feel uncomfortable and I go straight to my brother and I just give him a big hug and I tell him I love him and you know, I don't get to see him that much. So I, I had to see him there. But the interesting part about it is that he's there with all of his friends that I haven't seen in forever. You know, it's over 30 years, they went to high school together and they're, you know, they, they fell apart for a long time and now they're all coming back together in their 50s. It's the weirdest thing ever for me anyway. And they all start coming up to me and say, hey, Carlitos. And I mean, that's they remember me this big and there's no ethos about me in anything I have anymore. <laughs> I wish there was, but there, there isn't. And they all, you know, they all start shaking my hand. They're so glad to be with me. And I just want to be with my brother. And finally, this guy comes up to me and he just shakes my hands like four times, hugs me four times, and I, which I knew he was a little tipsy at that point, man. He's just not, I love you. And now what, just as an aside, it has nothing to do with the story. This guy is awesome because in, what he used to do for a living is say he was a, he was a wrestler, you know, full blown wear the mask, Mexican luchador. It was awesome. I just wish I would have hung out with him at that time, you know, and, uh, we would have hung around together eating corn and wearing stretchy pants, whatever. <laughs> it would have been so awesome. And then he says, you know, man, it's so good to see you. I want you to meet my, I don't know if it was his wife or his girlfriend. And I go up to, to this lady and say, hi, this is Car Victor's brother. And it's a pleasure to meet you. And I don't know why people do this. I mean, we've never met before. And the first thing she asked, hi, nice to meet you. Hey, you live in California. What do you do for a living? And I'm like, oh, here it comes. I'm a pastor. And this is what she did. She opened up her eyes like this. And then her head went down. <laughs> And I'm like trying to like back out of that situation a little bit and, and going back. You know, I was only there for 10, 15 minutes. I wanted to be with my brother. I didn't want to spend a lot of time with the, 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 these people. And I left. I never thought again about that until this message. And God brought this lady to mind. Who's going to tell her about the great news? You see, as we sit here, and, and rightfully so, we've decided to follow Christ and pray to him for his provision and his blessing for us and our family and our kids and for generations to come. And when things go wrong, we can come to him and that he would take and, and, and that he would embrace us and, and, and he would just help us. Who does this lady have? Who's going to tell her? about the great news of she can come to a Lord that is loving, that can give her all of these things that she seeks, if it's not going to be me. Should I have pulled up a chair and grabbed a beer and started talking to her? Probably not, because I probably will develop a drinking habit in the process of ministering to people. But folks, I bet this lady has a job. I bet she has a circle of friends where probably 80%, like the Bible, I mean, like the statistics show, where 80% of her friends are Christian. You see, we all have that lady in our lives. Maybe the kind of the type that go to a bar, not. But we all have that lady in our lives. And if it's not us ringing out the Lord's message, who is going to bring her the news? Not everyone is going to ask you about your church or your faith or what you believe in. But you need to be ready and willing to witness for Christ at any given moment. Folks, I believe now that I should have gone to that place. And although I wanted to be with my brother so bad, God probably took me there for that lady, and I failed miserably on that day. You know, First Peter says that always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You see, it's unlikely that that lady will ever come through our, the doors of our church, or any other church for that matter.
You know, in a country where, where they want to remove God from everything that we have, from, from our schools, from our national anthem, from our currency, from our monuments, it is our job to be squeaky Christians. You've heard that old saying, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Well, there's a certain amount of truth to that statement. And I'm saying that we Christian people should be squeaking and speaking out for Christ, but obviously in a nice and loving way. The church should be the center of the gospel testimony. It should be at the center of our story. We should be ringing out the Lord's message of Christ every chance we get. So I want to challenge you this morning. Pray this morning that God would bring one person this year, just one, that you can bring him to Christ. That is your goal. To bring one person to Christ and pray, God, bring that person into my life that I may speak your truth into theirs. That change begins with us because there's some people out there that desperately need him. The third change where, where change begins is gentleness for others. Paul says, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. You know, I heard it say many years ago that a pastor's job was to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Now, I'm not really sure I like that second part, but I believe that we should all be in the business of caring for people regardless of their spiritual maturity or immaturity. Paul said, we were gentle among you. And then he uses this great analogy that allows all of us to understand like a mother caring for her little children. You know, mothers are great when it comes to caring for their little children. They demonstrate lots of love and patience and understanding. And we should be the same at the church. In 1 Corinthians, Paul said to the Corinthian Christians, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. You see, the, the, the Corinthian church had a, had, a, had a problem with, you know, immaturity in Christ. And then he says, you are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? You know, there's always going to be spiritual immaturity in the church. Let's call them spiritual babies who are not what they should be and will need some special care and handling. You know, some of these babies will make you sad and some of them will make you real mad. You guys ever meet spiritual babies? You know, people who are a little self-centered and when they do come to church, they come thinking, hey, what am I going to get out of this today? And when they leave and they don't get anything out of it, they're mad. They are the same people who complain when their needs are not being met or complain when the new ministry starts at a church and it doesn't address their stage of life, so they are mad at that. They are the same people who leave everything for someone else to do and they always think, oh, it's not my job. People who are impatient, they want things now. And if they don't get what they want now, they may leave the church. You know, this is the customer provider approach to the kingdom work. You know, this consumeristic approach of the church that, that the church is there to provide services which members pay for with their offerings. And if the services are inferior, then they withhold their money and eventually leave. You know, spiritual infants are explosive and can go off at anything. And if they don't get the recognition that they, for doing the work that they've been doing, they may quit. 
Spiritual infants are great at expecting a lot from others, and they are the first ones to know exactly how to point blame and know exactly what's wrong with the church. And I hope this isn't making anyone uncomfortable because in some regard, we are all spiritual babies in certain areas of our lives. Yet Paul says, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, and be patient, be patient with everyone. Everyone in the church needs to be dealt with in a patient manner. Patience pays off. Impatience impedes spiritual progress in people. You know, folks, I've had the privilege of baptizing some people and even hearing people, especially young adults, accept Christ for the first time. And they seem very excited at their decision, you know, at first, and were faithful to coming to church. And after a period of time, they drop out of the church and start doing whatever they want. You know, they were spiritual babies who needed lots of patience and special love. We must not give up on them. And even they might return here, or even if they don't, they have that foundation that started here. There will always be spiritual babies, and the church should exhibit patience, kindness, and love towards them. We're talking about gentleness in order to help them grow in faith. Because if we don't exhibit and we are the church, then who's going to do it? The fourth thing where change begins is our love for family. Let me explain. The Lord's church should be a family. We, us together in this room, should be a family. The Lord's church is a family, and the spirit of the loving family should always prevail, right? Paul says, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other. He's writing to this church, and he's telling them, your love for each other should increase. And for everyone else, everyone else is all the people that are not in the church just as ours does for you. You know, folks, we know that there are times where husband and wives don't get along. There are times when whole families don't get along. You know, they feud and they, and they fight and they fume and they fester and church is no different. You know, I'm reminded of, uh, I'm reminded of Winston Churchill's immortal words where he says, we shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight on the fields and in the streets, we shall fight in the hills which kind of sounds like some of our family reunions, but that's just the way it is. Sometimes, sometimes we're going to fight. And I personally believe that the main reason we don't get along well is because we, by nature, are a selfish people. We want things our way, and when it doesn't happen, we get mad. But it doesn't have to be that way. You know, a family should be a family with love prevailing. Remember the foundational three words? Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. But it won't happen without work. Love is a matter of work. We have to work at loving people. We practice loving people. We do things that demonstrate love for those people. And we keep doing it. And before we realize that we find ourselves loving even more. You know, men, pay attention to this study. There was this exhaustive study. And it showed that no woman has ever shot her husband while he was doing the dishes. Do you guys know that? <laughs> Paul put it this way. Be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love. When we begin to practice love, 
it not only changes the person whom it is directed to, but it also changes the person who demonstrates it. The more we demonstrate love, go out of our way to show love, the more we love others. That's just the way it works. And this holds true for marriages, for families, for churches, or anywhere where there's a group of people. And the church should be a family circle with lots of hugs and lots of love. Your home, your family at home should be filled with lots of hugs and lots of love. You guys have heard hugs beget hugs. I love yous beget I love yous. Love begets love. So, folks, that's what we need to focus on. That's where change begins for us as a church. Someone well said, what power the church would be if... What power would the church be if all the sleeping folk would wake up? If all the lukewarm folk would fire up? If all the dishonest folk would confess up? If all the disgruntled folk would sweeten up? If all the discouraged folk would cheer up? If all the estranged folk would make up? If all the gossipers would shut up? If the true soldiers would stand up, if the church members would pray up, oh, what power the church would be. Amen? Well, amen by myself. But thank you, three people that said amen to that. The truth is that all of us need to do something to make the Lord's church what it should be. And remember, you are the church. So that change begins with us. Will you pray with me? You know, I'm not sure what everyone here has been going through. You might have been a Christian a couple of weeks or maybe several years now. Hey, maybe you're not even a believer yet. Maybe that's a first step this morning, first step of change in your life. If you're here right now and, and you want change in your life, just say in your heart right now and look at Christ and say, Father, I want to change. I don't want to stay the same. Lord, increase my faith. Lord, enlarge my love. And Lord, inspire my hope. Today, I put my trust in you. I believe you have something to say to me through your word. And you want to grow me and make me a different person this morning. Lord, I thank you for the gift of faith, for the gift of hope, and the gift of love. So Father, today, I commit myself to be a new person, maybe for the first time. Or maybe in a fresh new way, Father, change me to be the kind of person that you want me to be. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.